Hey everybody, this is Adam Shartoff, your host of FilmWax. This is episode number 763, and on this very special episode, uh, I'm bringing my friend Nick Ebling on. He is an, an artist, photographer, a filmmaker, and now a novelist. He was on back in November of 2017 with his documentary, Along for the Ride, which was uh, about Dennis Hopper and the making of the uh, last movie, and he is back with having published his first novel. It just came out. It's called Earthquake Weather, published by Hatton Beard Press. Please pick up a copy. It is a terrific novel. I read it and enjoyed it thoroughly and was so happy to bring on Nick back onto the podcast. Visit nickebeling.com for more information. That's N-I-C-K-E-B-E-L-I-N-G.com to find out all about Nick and what he's up to. He's a great guy, and um, I'm glad to have him back on the podcast on this episode. There's no outro on this episode. We'll go right into the conversation. It's only been about four years, or... or uh, I think it's been more than that. God, when did we do that? 2017? Right into 2018? Yeah, it's been a while. Let's that was see. a good interview. Yeah, I loved it. It was you and me and... Satya. And, right. Satya. Exactly. That would have been, uh, yeah, November. You got it right. November of 2017. Yeah, man. Uh, that film... You would know. You're... Yeah, I know, right? It's ingrained in my psyche and... Uh, trauma and uh and <laughs> happiness and all kinds of emotions but yeah um, i can i can imagine anything that's so important to one's ego oh yeah yeah absolutely but the the film has done it's just as like kept going like it yeah. uh you know i don't know if you saw in, in uh 21 it wound up on criterion with uh the last movie it did all that and then it just got a release in france 10 months ago and you know had a big thing in spain over covid like it, Wow. It's just that that movie doesn't want to go down. I feel like I'm going to be talking about that forever. But um, I'm so happy that you responded to Earthquake Weather, man. That, you know, kind of oh like, yeah, no, it's a pleasure. First well, of all, we missed the whole window for this guy. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Oh, I, man, I'm sorry when that happened. Like, uh, I, I have a feeling it was during the pandemic, right? Because yeah, it came out like right as things were, you know, just people were just starting to kind of like loosen the mask a bit. Oh, really? You know? Yeah, like I think that was twenty one. Yeah. Wait a minute. Hold it. Look at yeah, that. That's right. And thank you for that very personal message. There. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I don't know I'll if that came, uh, I don't know uh, if the publisher sent that forward or not, man. But next time I'm in New York, I'm happy to amend that as well. Oh yes. Next time when we're to get together, you'll tell me when you come. I'm I moved out of the city. I'm a little north now. But if you let me know if, if and when you're coming in. I'll make the trip just to see you. That'd be yeah. great, man. Yeah, I, I seem to remember all that because we were chatting a bit during the when the pandemic was first kind of scaring the hell out of everybody. I, I yeah. remember uh, I remember us talking about it and you leaving the city like so many people did. Um, yeah, I mean, it wasn't out of fear. It was just out of, you know, mental exhaustion. And, men you know, if my lifestyle had, I don't know, been conducive to, you know, living on Central Park or something, you know. Maybe I would have stuck it out a little longer, <laughs> but 
you know, I was like stuck in this crappy apartment and I just could see that this was going to take a while. And I just didn't realize I was already kind of burnt out living in the city for so many decades. And I was like, you know, I really want to get out while I still have some semblance of freedom to do something. So I just, yeah, I got out of there and never looked back. I mean, I'm really, it's the, one of the best things. Everything kind of fell into place once I moved out. Good. Yeah. A lot of people, you know, really reevaluated their lives and, and, um, you know, I think that's what, you know, was kind of interesting about all this. It was a period of a lot of self-reflection and, yeah. you know, what am, what am I, what am I doing? We can at least mention that, you know, you just, you just published this book or it's about to be, what's the, uh, is it, it out yet? It's, it officially released uh, last week. Oh, congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. That was, um, it's funny because we were talking about just talking about COVID and, um, I don't know if you want to go into the backstory of how this. Yeah, I mean, out, anything, but, anything you want to talk about. This is yeah, your, yeah. So, this is a, so, uh, your forum here. Yeah, Earthquake Weather. Earthquake Weather is my new novel, which is uh, semi-autobiographical in the way that Jack Kerouac was semi-autobiographical. Mm-hmm. And um, last time we spoke was during the release of Along for the Ride. And that film has had a really incredible trajectory, trajectory. But, you know, for me personally, it reminded me of a lot of things when I was working on it, just from the people that I got to be around. You know, I'm born and raised. I'm an Angelino. You know, it's it's a tough city to to grow up in, and especially it's a tough business. And uh, when I was working on Along for the Ride, kind of moving around into this Dennis Hopper 70s exile you know years i wound up around a lot of incredible artists like ed rochet and you know actor artist dean stockwell and you know a whole crew of these people and it really got me into a place of thinking well you know what what are the projects i really care about like this like that film i was making and and, you know how do i want to curate what i'm doing moving forward so i don't I don't know. I don't want to say fall into a corny Hollywood trap, but just kind of stick true, true to what I'm about. I had been chasing this epic, mythical, long lost acid Western, which I thought was going to be my next logical you know, step as a as a filmmaker. And, um, you know, you mentioned the Along for the Ride companion art book. Well, I was working with that publisher. We got very close and I, I he, he he was he's from a. Uh, Chicago, and he would kind of ask me this question, like, what is it like to grow up here? You know, he's fascinated with the whole, mm-hmm. um, you know, Raymond Chandler uh, uh, town concept of Los Angeles, you know, and he's like, you know, what, what is it? You're like, well, the only person I know that's actually from here. And uh, so I just started relating these stories to my publisher about, you know, my upbringing and the people I knew and, and the characters that I met in my, in my journey from, you know, a small child all the way to this day. And he said, God, you know, instead of chasing this Western thing, you know, you should write a book, you know, you, you should write, uh, you know, a story. Some of this stuff is very fascinating. And it's just one of those things that I just, you know, when you're in it, when you're a filmmaker, you don't necessarily think about authorship in, in, in the sense of, of literature. You know, uh, I, I'm a trained screenwriter. Um, you know, went to film school for all that. 
but I never thought, you know, that's, when you're writing scripts, it just, they, they're just like these kind of, they can be great, but they're like these blueprints for mm-hmm. making a movie and 98% of them wind up in a shoebox, you know, at the end of the day. So it's very like. And and not necessarily your shoebox. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Right. Like somebody else, you lose the script and it's in somebody else's shoebox, you know, somewhere in a basement. And I, uh, you know, I loved a lot of, there, there's a lot of books that I had loved growing up, you know, um, like Jesus's son by De- Dennis Johnson was in, important yeah. to me. It's so funny that this came, I, by the way, if, if anybody watching, uh, listening, this is, this comes up in, in your book, the, the, the Jesus's son, which so funny is my, my, my lady, she, she, she is a teacher and she's teaching Jesus's son. It's incorporated into her, this, this class she's teaching. And so it's about adapt- adaptation also. I, it's a long kind of description to get into the details of it. But my point is that we watched it literally the night before I got to that part of your book. <laughs> and I was just like, this is very strange, but maybe not, you know. But yeah, I'd never seen the film version before. And she was raving on about, you know, the book. And I have, I have not read the, the Jesus Son. Uh, yeah, I've read the book, but I've never seen the film, which is funny. As I just saw it for the first time, though, like two weeks ago. And by the way, I can only imagine they really did it justice. Mm -hmm. And your buddy Dennis Hopper's in it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So uh, I I, I need to watch that. You know, it's funny because someone else was saying, you know, you write so much about the swimmer in your in your in your novel. Right. You ever read Tom Cheever? And I'm like. No, <laughs> like I've never, I've never read the story that that the swimmer is based on, which is this incredible. Oh, that is amazing. Yeah, I've read it. Great, great film. Um, and it's been a big inspiration on me. Again, you know that takes place on the East Coast, but yeah, growing up in Los Angeles in the eighties, I was in a swimming pool like ninety percent of the time. Growing sure. up, sure. So when I saw when I saw the swimmer, um, I just kind of connected to it in the veneer of a kind of life the cracks being broken in, in, in you know society it, it connected with me as a young man very very well just like you know films like repo man did but you know to go back a bit how this came about with you know my publisher was urging me to to write something and and so i just pulled out this typewriter that i had you know i just got back to the to the the core of the you know where i started and the city was empty you know, in in 2020 during the pandemic, which is was an incredible um, an empty Los Angeles is a very rare opportunity, I would say, you know, um, as far as it being like Omega Man, you know, like it, it you know, it, it just was was wild, you know, and nobody was going outside. So I started going on this pilgrimage uh, with my 35 millimeter Nikon and just revisiting these places. Were you wearing... Did you wear a kerchief around your neck? I did. I had a kerchief. Um, I had a cutlass <laughs> convertible and a couple <laughs> machine guns in the back while I did this, <laughs> looking for zombies. Yeah, man. And it was, but it was like that. It was very, it was very haunting, you know. And it's incredible to be able to retrace, you know, the steps of of your life, you know, in an empty city. I don't think anybody really gets to gets that opportunity. Or, you know, I guess there were people like me. I was actually talking this this um, this actor about it. He said, "God, COVID was." was incredible for me. How was it for you? And I said, uh, yeah, it was fairly incredible as well, like being in this empty city. And, uh, 
so, so I started taking pictures of these places as I was writing, which became a kind of visual diary. And then those, those photos are also published in the novel, you know, and, and the novel really is set in a time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, that's Los Angeles to me. That's the LA. Right, yeah. For, oh, I, sure. I know. And I, and I have seen and beat up palm trees, dents in cars. You know, it, the story set 20 years ago when I was living in Silver Lake and going to art school. Yes. Yeah. There's my, there's my um, that's the homage to the title that I chose, which is. Um, and then it's also behind you. Yeah, exactly. So Earthquake Weather is in reference to a Joe Strummer record. Uh, that was released in 1989-1990 when Strummer had this kind of difficult moment figuring out what he was doing post-Clash. He was working with Alex Cox on a bunch of movies, worked with Jim Jarmusch on, um, right. on Mystery Train, which is an incredible film. And uh, he, this re- he released this record, and it got a little bit of critical nod, but it didn't really work out for him. And he went into this kind of L.A., wilderness chateau marmont you know chapter of his life before kind of um completely reinventing himself a few years later and i had uh clash had affected me you know as it did so many people but it really is a band that i think has helped a lot of people that you know were looking for direction in the way that jack kerouac and cigarettes you know have like have helped People use their brain power a little bit better and get more hip to politics and, you know, d- different kinds of music and film and, and art. And The Clash was, um, you know, came to me at a very tough time in my life, you know, uh, in, in high school. And it, it helped to get, you know, I was I wasn't parentless, but I wasn't really being parented, you know, very well. I was pretty much on my own. And um, it was a great The Clash was a great door opener for me. And mm. this record, Earthquake Weather, was a record I was trying to find that I had heard about. And it was out of print. And uh, I had found a shirt of it. And it had this incredible picture of it that was shot by a photographer named Josh Shoes, I think is his, his name. I know Josh. I work with him. Yeah, he's a great photographer. I've, I've never met oh, Josh. Josh yeah, Josh. And I worked together at Sony Music. Uh, I, he may still be there, in fact. But wow, um, yeah. I mean, he shot Big Audio Dynamite and you know, yeah. Strummer and and just um, yeah. Th- this picture when was I in was... that documentary. In fact, uh, that Strummer documentary came out oh, about seven eight years ago. Well, yeah, I know the film. No more than people. I've never actually seen it, which is crazy for me. I think I'm just um, unsure of like how to approach it because Joe's such a big hero of mine. Mm-hmm. Uh, I met Joe before he passed away. Wow. Uh, at the Troubadour. And uh, there's a great story there. Um, and it's kind of after this story takes place on the timeline. Uh, if you want to hear that story, I could. I could uh, yeah, bring it on. I mean, you know, uh, I I just want to mention, though, since you just sort of saying it's semi-autobiographical, I certainly was <laughs> reading it. I was really I'm like, which parts really happened? Because it's this kind of novel where you're sort of like if if you took Philip Marlowe, and you updated him and made him a film student in the 90s, it's what you did, you know, here. It's like your Elliot Gould is the longest. Yeah. You know, it's okay, let's go there and we'll get to we'll get to Joe at the end. Just, yeah, just, we'll get there. This is a great way to cap it. I love that you said that. And I love that you picked Long up on goodbye. it. Um, yeah, I I started realizing I thought my life 
resembled a kind of West Coast hyper real Buffalo sixty six. You know, <laughs> you know that's kind of what I what I thought. And as uh-huh. I started going through the timeline and started thinking about the characters, I was like, holy shit! I've lived in noir. I, I've lived in noir film. It just is very long goodbye. It, it it's like Richard Stark. It there. It's just you know the thing is is that when you come from here, the you know there's people that 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 are larger than life. They're 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 characters, and they may not necessarily be famous or in the film business, but yeah, yeah sure. are, are very strong personalities. They don't play by any kind of rules it's very doggy dog you know mentality in certain circles here and i was birthed into that world you know above sunset boulevard in in the late 70s you know and uh you know like you know jackie gleason used to play pool karen black used to play pool in in, in my dad's pool table you know uh, uh, up above doheny and uh and so I, I i i was thrown into that and you know my dad is to, to kind of answer what is real and, and what is not, I, I should just maybe quote Kerouac and saying, you know, everything I saw was real because I believed in what I saw, <laughs> you know? And, uh, you know, things have, of course, been altered. And it's it's really two stories that kind of collide to, to make a good narrative story. But, you know, it, it's very personal, I should say. Um, yeah. you know, my, my father was incarcerated in federal prison eventually for all of his shenanigans uh you know uh during the time i was in college and i was i was on my own in the city yeah. i was yeah. living in you know i went from I, I started life in in beverly hills right at the top then with like zagato body ferraris and famous people and my dad helped us work our way down you know as i started moving moving through life um just by you know he got into a lot of a lot of trouble and and um a lot of crazy business practices. So I saw many spectrums that I think not a lot of people get to see. Like you get to see the height, they get to see the low, you know, the up and the down and all those things. And yeah. um and and I, and I wound up on my own, you know, while I was in college and if it wasn't for all these incredible friends who are artists and, you know, film lovers and, you know, photography, you know, photographers and God, I don't know how I would have made it because they kind of became a surrogate family while I was going through all this. And, you know, I slept on a mattress. That's why I always love that line from Dennis Hopper. I can sleep on a mattress, you know, and, and I don't know if you know that line or not, you know, but when which one, what did he, when, was when, it from when, a movie? It was, or? it was in the American Dreamer. And I oh. think that, that was one of the attractions of, of me loving the story of the last movie was because there's a line in the American Dreamer by Lawrence Schiller and Ellen Kit Carson. It's a documentary about Dennis yeah. And uh, they're asking what happens if this movie isn't going to work out. And he goes, well, you know, I slept on a mattress when I was editing Easy Rider. I could sleep on a mattress again. And that kind of became my mantra while I was living in a dying Yeah, room. yeah, yeah. And I took <laughs> possessions. Well, I was, you know, I was, and I had sold my soul to Sally Mae to get through school, you know, with student loans and anything, you know, we were in the era of all that. And, and that, you know, that, that became my way through, you know, my father did try to trade what's so wild is my dad literally negotiated a deal on my behalf with his cellmates for me to write a screenplay. He for, did do that. <laughs> oh my God. You know, while I was just 
looking, I, I was in the hardest art school on the West Coast, you know, just trying to get keep my life together. And all that, you know, I had all that over my over my head, you know, you know, while at the same time trying to find love, you know, and, uh, and, and all, you know, and all that. And, you know, most kids are in college They, you know, they're they're in that place where, you know, yeah, it's tough to be in school, but, that you know, the, the, that's where all the heavy romances and the heartbreaks and all that kind of stuff is supposed to happen for you. So I was trying to find trying to cling to some kind of innocence, you know, while all of this you know crazy stuff was going on around me yeah man it was uh it was a real trip and uh you know putting the book together was just a great way to mm. look at that again yeah, sure you know, as as an older as a, as an older person sure i mean um, how old was your dad when this happened when he went to jail my dad was uh my dad was an older um father so my dad had me when he was in his 40s okay. and so my dad was about 60 when this all happened too okay yeah he just passed away uh about oh. five months ago well, i haven't had much contact with him but <laughs> for obvious but did you okay. were you able was he sick and did you were you yeah able... he was he was he was sick he passed away my dad passed away of lymphoma about six months ago yeah oh, it's still tough it was tough yeah absolutely and yeah i mean be, it can actually be probably tougher if you don't make some sort of level of peace with it whether it's with him or just on your own and because yeah, you know absolutely i mean it, it's something that um it, i think that there's a lot of you know this is a this is a novel about trying to understand family as well as being a noir tale you know and, mm-hmm. and dealing with the damage that can be caused you know in, in this idea of a family and a town where people will sometimes not put their families first, you know? Yeah. Um, and so, you know, it, it's, it's a real exploration into that for me. And it became, you know, I almost, while I was writing it, wanted to give myself a little bit of advice you know, while I was, while I was working of things I would have liked to. Wow. Yeah. Uh, that's, that could be very uh, cathartic. Is it, is it, or is it just maybe frustrating or sad to, no, it, it's not. Fr- it's not frustrating. I mean, I don't. I don't think it's. I, I think. I think when you're looking at, it, at, you know, coming from there, you get to a point where you where you realize, well, that was heavy, you know, <laughs> like that. Yeah, but I, but I I made it through that. I I I survived that. So whatever I did, I did I did well. Yeah. Well, I was wondering if you know, as like as you said before this period that happens wow i guess this 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 unraveled and all this this took place in the 90s this place in really 2001 but i was in, okay. yeah, I, was in, I was in film school in the late 90s i graduated 2001 right okay so well, it was over 20 years ago so and while you're going through these incredible experiences remarkable experiences and your father is in prison and you had is it, I'm just, and I'm just wondering, guessing maybe you also had a very complicated relationship with your mother. I, I think absolutely. You know, um, you know, like many, you know, you know, my, my mother was kind of an ingenue at one point. She was right. very, she was very beautiful and, and came from the, the heyday of the late sixties and the early seventies, really brilliant and, and fascinating woman. You know, she hung out with uh, Elliot Gould. She was, you know, friends with with a lot of. She was friends with Arthur Lee and Love 
and uh, just uh, Jim Morrison, and, and he had this really kind of LA great background. And she she did influence me a lot with her, mm-hmm. you know, her, her stuff she was into. You know, it's like she got me into yeah. the Rolling Stones. She bought me my first Clash record. You know, like wow. Um, but you know, unfortunately, you know, my parents lived the party of the seventies to the fullest. You know, and yeah, there's yeah. like a downturn that kind of happens. You know, historically, you see it in movies like Goodfellas, you know, and Boogie Nights, and all that kind of stuff. It's like you know, there, there's a, there's a shift. So my mother, um, you know, was was very much an addict, and she had a lot of you know, and, and she was facing, you know, her age in this town, there's a lot of pressure, you know, on, on women when they get to be in their thirties and early forties. And, and, and it was tough on her mm. and she, you know, very much medicated herself. And so mm. it was, it, I was, I, I really was in some ways I had parents, but I felt like an orphan. Yeah, um, sure. You know, because I was in the dynamic where I was being more of a parent than my parents were, you know, not to say they, they, they weren't there at key moments in my life that, that that's unfair to say, but um, they definitely had their moments and I definitely learned some good things from the both of them. But at that time they weren't really capable of, of making correct decisions, which, you know, it, it, it you know, a good anti-hero is, is, you know, that's why I identify with them so much is, you know, always in this kind of outsider alienated you know even like marlo or or harper or any of those guys they they always have this kind of there's there's like the rents do there's a problem with the with the the ex-wife and they're, and they're going to be run out of curry office. you run out of curry brand cat food yeah there's something wrong with the car. yeah exactly there's something wrong with the car and uh you know there's just a myriad of fucking problems and they're having to try to figure out okay i've got to like try to get over this next set of hurdles. And, I, and and it's a very edgy type of situation to live in. And I felt like I was baptized in that, in that form. Yeah. <laughs> like it was such a part of me. I, I thrive in that, you know, as hard as it is, you know, it's, it's, that's me. That, that's what I've been, that's, that, that's what I've been brought into and conditioned to, to be. So, so was it all these creative types that you eventually fell in with and that you surrounded you yourself with in a way you kind of it feels like you took these measures to save yourself because you were set up for pretty (laughs) your future wasn't looking no but you know your parents were not great as parents i'm not saying they weren't good people but they really weren't you know able to parent you probably you know like, like, I don't know how safe you ever felt as as a kid of those parents. But anyway, I'm just saying. But then you took these, this, the you went through the measures of creating a family for yourself, which was like a step of a very healthy step for you. Yeah, I, I think I was doing it unconsciously. You know. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Absolutely. You know, I was lucky in the fact, Adam, that I, I think we talked about this last time uh-huh. as far as how I, how I came to be. You know, I started as an actor. I was showing some promise and then I um, found this movie called the last movie. And I decided I was going to be a filmmaker because there weren't any parts for a 14, 15 year old in movies like drugstore cowboy or anything like that. You know, that, that mm-hmm. it, it, you know, I wanted to do all this edgy, even seventies kind of stuff. And, right. and, um, but you know, the great thing was, and it what is the backdrop of this story. And I'm going to tie this all together is that, 
there was an explosion, maybe the greatest time ever, in my opinion, of independent cinema. And I decided to be a filmmaker. I got a Bolex. I got a Super 8 millimeter camera. I started making my own movies with my friends on the weekends, which led me to, to into film, got me into art school and into film school. So I found that direction that way. But I mean, look at what was happening. I mean, it was like, there was Dogma 95, right? There, there were, there was like movies like Ghost Dog. Right. Charmish. Just incre incredible. Uh, 24 hour party people. Um, oh, yeah. Sexy Beast. I mean, it just seemed oh my like God. every yeah. week. I'm so excited. My girlfriend hasn't seen Sexy Beast. <laughs> oh, she's going to be so happy. I just get to see it with her again. You know? I love that Jonathan uh, Glazer rolled up out of making music videos and made maybe the best British gangster movie. And it, there's like a lot, a lot of great British gangster movies, in my opinion. But I think he, he really took the mantle of best British gangster filmmaker. And like, then he never did it. Like ever again, he never revisited the genre. He never repeated himself, and I just I love that about about him. But that movie, and that was really like a high water mark. Oh, I know. So I, I was being just inspired and fed by all this, and then you know revisiting these movies by um, John Cassavetes, you know, and, and movies with Harry Dean Stanton, you know, like um, Paris, Texas, and and you know, and David Lynch, obviously, and yeah. and, and so there were all of these. Time. Yeah. Incredible. Did I did actor. I tell you? Sorry, I got it. You inspire me because you bring up hold on to that thought what you're about to say, because I'm interrupting you and I apologize. This is that you're you're the interview. But when I went when I was very young and I went to see Blue Velvet the first time in a movie theater when it first came out and in my hometown in Queens with my cousin, the people in the audience were so uncomfortable and didn't understand what the movie what Lynch was doing and they were just kind of laughing and it was freaking me out. So I left. Right. I didn't were even get it. I didn't get, I didn't get halfway were through it. Were you just angry at the audience for not understanding what was happening? I, I was a bit annoyed. Yes. But I wasn't, I don't know if I was angry, but I just, then I went into Manhattan, you know, a few days later or a couple weeks later, whatever. And I saw it in Manhattan, you know, uh, just because I, I just had to see it and be able to focus on it because people were like talking, you know, and yelling at the screen, that kind of thing. They just didn't right. lynch. No, they hadn't seen anything like that before, you know, and if they had, they probably wouldn't have gone to see the movie. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's that's kind of funny how an audience can just change, change everything for you. Yeah. You know, and and also in the art house scene at that time, the new Beverly, which Tarantino now owns. Oh, yeah, I know. It was an incredible kind of art house scene and these theaters at the time are not like going to the metrograph or something now where people just oh, I, know. Right. I mean you used to go and there would be like four people an old guy coughing in the front you know and you would watch, <laughs> you'd watch like performance by yourself you know? yeah 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 like right a private screen. and then i remember also it's like remember that that actor in reservoir dogs lawrence tierney yeah sure yeah, Lawrence Terry, who was this famous, diff the most difficult actor, apparently, in Hollywood. Reservoir Dogs, right? He was in Reservoir That was his big comeback. He would wait in the theater of the New Beverly for people to recognize him. <laughs> so yeah, right. In the late 90s, and you just see Lawrence yeah. Terry just standing there. And that's kind of what started happening to me. Um, you know, I was going to, you know, the legendary Vidiots and to Rocket Video. Uh, and another legendary, uh, along with all these great independent record stores. So music and film sure. were very right. 
major part of my life. And, you know, absolutely. You know, just like digging for old movies, I was digging for old bands, like, you know, finding bands like television and the modern lovers and, you know, all this kind of other incredible stuff was feeding me. And I started just meeting these heroes of mine, you know, and they became accessible. It was almost like there was, there was a magnet. It's like, I would watch faces. I would then, I would then bump into Seymour Cassell. Wow. Start talking to him, yeah, that's know? amazing. And, it, and so, uh, or I would watch Repo Man. I, I, I'd meet Cy Richardson, you know, from Repo Man, you know, and um, it, it just, LA, it has a lot of bad things going on, <laughs> but those kind of things are, are magical, you know, to me. You know, you'd walk over somewhere, you see Laura Dern, you know, in the supermarket and, and uh, five steps away from you. And so all these people that were, I think, um, in a way, those films, in a strange way, I feel like those films were parenting me in a, in a sense, you know, like watching. It was giving me an idea of thematic in living, you know. Yeah, right. Great yeah. film, you know. And so, and so I, and then I had this accessibility. And, um, you know, when I was like 21, 22 years old, there was, these people started taking an interest in me if I'd be in a certain you know situation I'd wind up having a conversation with Seymour Cassell that would go for an hour and a half and he'd talk to me about John Cassavetes and like what you have to do to make independent films and you know it would always end with like well when you need me call me you know <laughs> like which to me in film school nobody was thinking that way they would just go into backstage west and you know try to find somebody who was you know fresh off the boat from Flagstaff Arizona to, to cast in whatever they were doing and, uh, you know, some community college, you know, you know, uh, acting hero. And uh, I started to just pour the gas on that. And and I started calling agents as a, like a 21 year old. I'd call ICM, CAA, you know, like, <laughs> and say, hey, I've got a really good script. I want to send I want to send it over. And like I was getting through to people and I was getting responses to people. And that was it, it just started to show me that there's no rules to any of this. It was just so intimidating, you know, when I started, but I, I just started and I'm a very introverted, quiet guy, but there was something about this kind of passion of filmmaking that, that I wasn't really going to be stopped. My ambition wasn't going to be pushed back. You know, I was going to figure out how to make something like a killing of a Chinese bookie, even though I didn't have any of the skills yet, you know, I had that ambition and that drive to like, to, to push through. And, um, you know, and what was incredible about that time is a lot of those actors, you know, from the 1970s that had started in the fifties, were all still around, you know, yeah, the, the city, they're all, they're all pretty much gone now. But, uh, you know, there was a lot to learn from them. You know, I started directing, I had a directing teacher, you know, and she was the head of the DGA and she worked with Jane Fonda and did Fuck the War. Yeah, I don't know if you know that, that you probably know that film. Uh, and Which one? Fuck, fuck the War. Fuck the, is it called Fuck the War Fuck the Army? It was the one with Jane Fonda and Donald Sutherland. It was, uh, it was the, it's where Jane Fonda went, spent time with the Viet Cong and got in all kinds of trouble. My directing yeah. teacher made that movie. And was the head of the DGA and and so obsessed with the craft of directing and was at that age where we we were learning who Stella Adler was. We were learning who Harold Klarman was. We were learning about these 
crazy schools that went down in the you know 40s and 50s in, in Manhattan and all this really in-depth, very deep directing, which I'm very, very thankful for to have, you know, learned in that style. So there was a lot of like this history floating around the city, if you knew where to find it, even though everything looked glossy, new BMWs with agents and headsets and all this kind of stuff, there there were these, you know, these these people were still there, you know? Yeah. You had to go to Hamburger Hamlet or... Yeah, you just... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. At like for dinner time. Or you go, or you go into Musso Franks in the years that no... Yeah. And you'd see Clue Gulliger hanging out, you know? Oh, just, I was going to bring him up before when you were talking about... Lawrence Tierney and standing in the in the lobby of the movie theater. Yeah, that's what it was, man. And, right. it, sure. and, it was, and it was really cool. Also, Los Angeles, like New York at that time, it was on the precipice turning into something else in the sense that L.A., I think, had always been a city where anybody could come come there and like kind of eke and make their way. Through. Right. Right, but real estate became real estate with the yeah, exactly. letters. Yeah, and where, where I was living, it, it now kind of looks like Brentwood. You know, it, it just at that time. It, but at the, you know, I mean, not at the time. It does now. At that time, you know, it it was like Chinatown through Allison Anders' eyes. You know, it it, yeah. it there, there was a it was more down to earth. There was an edginess to it. And the rents were cheap, and that's why we lived. That's why we lived there because we could get, we could afford to to be artists and 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 survive. And um, it's sad that that, you know, I think with all all these places is 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 that's being increasingly. That's one of the reasons I got out of New York City. I just it was a combination of what you just said, and feeling now that with this idea that the city belongs to the the young, the next generation, whatever however you want to say it, but. Like I just realized the New York City that I grew up with that I love where you could still, you know, live there if you had no money, um, you could, kind of, there were all sorts of areas and neighborhoods with real characters and, and the the neighborhoods had character too. And yeah. they're kind of gone. I mean, they've all been destroyed. And, um, and it's just, for me, it's, it's heartbreaking. So it was another reason. So like living up here in these old smaller towns is, is kind of, Another and I believe me, it's kind of creeping in, you know. But it's it's just giving it gives me a sense of I don't know uh, soulfulness, you know, uh, like where yeah, I want to live. Yeah. I want where I, I live to have a soul, you know. Yeah, and I and I found that in in Echo Park and Silver Lake. Yeah, um, you know, I, because when you live on the on kind of the west side, I was living in the slums of Beverly Hills before everything went down, and and when I crossed. Crescent Heights. I felt like I discovered the world. I felt I felt like I found the real, true yeah. city. Well, it it was so much less vapid, and uh, there there was a, definitely a soul to it. And I, sure. and I and I just fucking embraced it, man. And and it really helped me. And I think that, like you said in Manhattan, it, yeah, earthquake weather. I mean, it they're really, in there. I mean, this these you give a sense of of what you're talking about in this in your novel. Yeah, in I mean, those neighborhoods. I think it's important for people to understand that, you know, it was also the other thing that was really crazy about that time was, you know, I was the last generation being schooled in actual filmmaking, you know, and like editing on a flatbed, you know, mm-hmm. and like yeah. 
all of those traditions, which were the whole reason all of us wanted to do this, you know, it was just, there was a mystique to it, you know, right. and uh, there was a technical aspect to it that we were all fascinated by, you know, like, like, God, if we flash the film, what, what we could shoot at night, or if we, you know, if we process this a certain way, it'll give this, you know, uh, 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 a unique look. And, and that was just another whole level to it. And then as that's happening, we're trained in that, like, you know, computer editing is really starting to take over. The Matrix is released and becomes like the biggest movie of, you know, all time. And it's just, they start pulling all of our stuff away that we, like, as we're nearing our graduation, it's like, why don't you learn how to use this and work on this instead? We're going to get rid of everything else. And it just was like this shock because we're like figuring out like, damn, the whole reason we're here and everything that we've been studying is about to go. And they now want us to relearn everything on something in some other medium when we've got like the clock sticking, there's like six months until we're out of here. Right. 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 And so that's crazy. Came, yeah. I mean, it's in the, also in the book. Yeah. 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 You know, and it's a great moment. Yeah. Yeah. And that, you know, that whole thing where I made this, this found footage kind of film a la Bruce Connor, that's, that's all true. And yeah. that, you know, the, the book is the subject of an exhibition. I don't know if you know this in Los Angeles right now at, um, <laughs> these days gallery that show that i mean that show that film that i talked about the novel is actually was lost and it was found in helsinki by a friend of mine uh in her in her parents summer house or outside helsinki, the, i should say the, the beast of me or which is no, no, the, the other the other film the beast oh, in me oh the is, one that you said the found yeah, 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 yeah. get high in your family and that movie is now on installation and is, and is being shown oh that's fantastic and another film that I had un, uh, I had not finished had been lost as well. Almost all my film school work was lost. Uh, was found in a garage in Arizona over COVID. And that film, little eight-minute film, just got finished now with a band called Guitar Wolf that you may remember that were on Matador Records. And they had made it a commitment. Yeah, okay. I know they that. made a commitment to me to give me music 23 years ago. And then uh, they honored their commitment and did an original score for me on that. And that's also uh, on display in the gallery with all the pictures right now. But uh, The Beast in Me actually is the movie I didn't make. It's the movie I was scared to make. So mm -hmm. I wanted to like, kind of bring the idea, well, what, 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 what could I bring into it if I make the film I regretted not making? I wound up making a different film when I was in college. So, I, so The Beast in Me, um, you know, it's, uh, it's kind of like... It's all elements of things that happen to me, that story. But it's under the guise that I made this other film. So it I takes that direction. But uh, I think the, the big question that will be on any reader's mind, but maybe we shouldn't talk about it. Right. Is, you know, Charlotte. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Was there a Charlotte? Yeah, that was but a tough one. That was, a <laughs> that was that, you know, and I'm so thankful for finding the modern lovers in the aftermath of that breakup, because uh, that that's the perfect breakup record of all time is is jonathan richmond kind of you know in pain <laughs> for, for 30 minutes uh, uh and um yeah you know charlotte is is actually based on two incredible relationships in my life the you know charlotte at that time was what i really needed you know um she was the impossible art school girl that right 
was going to destroy you at the end. Sure. Of, you know, Absolutely. At the end of the There's day. no getting out of that. You, that. you just, you just, you just, you go, you go into it. Life becomes a Leonard Cohen song from the 1980s. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and, and you just, and you just surrender to that idea and you, you put your foot on the gas and you go for broke. And um, yeah, I mean, it's a good, it, it, it's, it's a pretty fair representation. Yeah. I, I have a very soft spot for that relationship and, in my heart, no matter how tough it was at the end of the day. Let's just make sure people remember it's called Earthquake Weather, written by Nick. Nick, And it's, you pronounce it Ebling? Ebling, yeah. You got yeah. it right. Yeah. Nick Ebling. The, what's the press? H&B? What is that, Sam? Hat and Beard Press out of Los what? Angeles. Hat and Beard Press. Okay. Yeah, they did, um, they did David Lynch's uh, book on music. Uh-huh. Uh, they, they're they're putting out Anna Lily Anapur's new book. Oh wow! Oh, I didn't know she had a lot of film film people are on are, are on the on the press. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I'll, I'll have to have her back on. She did. She came on uh, right on the cusp of you know the uh, uprising, for lack of another word, of of, of the uh, uh, Iranian women. You know about a year ago. Yeah, I heard that about her. I heard she was really And she got real politicized in it because she's never lived there, but she, you know, was raised by Iranian or Persian parents and was raised in LA, as you know. So Yeah, she's an Angelino, and I heard her. I didn't get to see her new film, but I heard it's really uh, quite good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. She's a really interesting character. I've never met her. I, I sat near her. her she's once. really nice. A really, really good. She's a nice person. Real nice. Real sweet. I'm trying to think of where, how are we doing on time? I'm trying to think of where, where we should go with this or, uh, <laughs> well, what, it's, what yeah. else know? I'm giving you the full hour <laughs> or you're, you're giving me oh, the good. full hour, which okay, is great, good. which good. is nice. We'll you. do the, we'll do a full episode here. Like you can have the, I like that you call it the return. I, I got an email oh. that said the return. Oh, yeah, 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 for sure. Really well, you know, that's the beauty part of doing this kind of thing. I you first of all, you you can come on for any reason you want to. We can just talk about <laughs> what we're talking about. You know, I'm happy to do that. And I need I actually will mention something after we get off when we stop the recording. I wanna uh, I'll tell you something. I'll, I'll catch you up on one other thing. But anyway, the um yeah, I love having people back on. You know, you mentioned at the beginning that it, you rem- I was I had a feeling you might remember that experience because we we just you know sometimes you just connect with somebody mm-hmm. and you get along and it's a memorable thing and then it's so great to be able to come back and sometimes <laughs> it's like oh what, what did I ever see in that person no I usually <laughs> it's <laughs> no you, more often almost always it's 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 like you know it's great to have somebody back on and and be able to connect again and so yeah so i hope this is the second of uh you know i don't know how long i'm gonna be yeah, doing man. this thing it's like it's 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 about time to start making a new movie so yeah man i'll, I'll definitely i'll definitely be back you know earthquake weather is looking like it's uh it's looking like it's going to be the next film now who knows what oh. this is like right now but uh yeah and i think it should have that aesthetic of of these things you're talking about not that you probably figure that out already, but it's like there's an aesthetic. This is why I I what what I enjoyed about it is is that it does you can see the whole thing, you know, it's very clearly it's very cinematic and not a surprise considering the source of who wrote it. And so I do think, you know, you should you should do something like that with this particular story. You know, it may be very different in the end than this, because mm-hmm. the movie is a different 
right? It's a different medium, and you, who knows? Don't get yeah, stuck. I mean, it's it always good. It, 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 it was good to write this way, and I found yeah. I really love, I love writing this way. I've never, I, I haven't written like that since creative writing class, maybe like in sixth grade. Or you're, yeah, no. you're a good writer, man. I was like, wow, this is, uh, I really enjoyed it. I'm like, uh, you know, I'm like, this guy's got a lot of talent. <laughs> He's just can do, you can do a different, I, I'm, uh, I admired your, uh, what you did here. And um, so I, I can uh, happily rec- uh, recommend it to, to people, you know, and I don't read much fiction, you know, I just don't get the chance to read as much. I'm going to, I'm going to take a break from nonfiction and start reading, but this is like a, a rare case where I was able to read a novel. You know, you know I, re- I really like have to tell you, that I was in the same place and I didn't read any fiction for a number of years. And, you know, fiction is like what started me, you know, it's like that co- yeah. copy on the road or Herman S or, you know, one of those books that, you know, kind of speak to, you know, uh, misfits like us, you know, <laughs> like, and it, it's like, I always remember having a book in my pocket for certain years. And Definitely. it's funny when I was making along for the ride, Tony Shafrazi, the 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 uh, Dennis's art dealer, uh, uh-huh. uh, he's a really wild character. He turned me on to this book about James Dean called The Mutant King, and he goes, "You have to read this book about James." You know, Dennis was interviewed in it, and so he was like, "You should oh. read these interviews while we were in production." And so I started carrying a book around with me again, you know, and it's like a you know Los Angeles story, and I'm like, "Oh!" And once I finished that, I was like, "God, I should." have another book with me and pretty yeah. soon i started reading all this nonfiction and revisiting all these great books and then reading you know reading authors i love but get, get getting deeper in, into their work and now it's just a part of who i am and i think yeah. that it, it's been this like kind of creative i don't know it, 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 it's unjumbling maybe all the bad things i've learned over the last <laughs> like like 15 20 years of my career it's helping to kind of open that that uh, creative mind up again when when I was young, you know, at the beginning, where, where there's yeah. all the great, you know, uh, artistic um, discovery, uh, literature and film and all, all these things. And, uh, and um, yeah, so, I mean, I, I, I think I'm now just going to be, you know, trying to get through my bookshelf and, and, you know, for the rest of my days. It's just, it's just there with me. And, and luckily people seem to dig this, novel so hopefully i'll be in demand to write another one because i've already got some ideas so i'm i'm working on that but i think earthquake weather is um yeah i think it's going to be the next one you know we have some got some interest and and i'm really passionate about it and and i would love to capture that city again that i knew that 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 i fucking love you know and it it kind of reminds me in a way of a darker version of the last picture show you know um as far get, as my, yeah, that idea that get Tom Tom Noonan to play your father. Yeah, exactly. Or um, or uh, or the star Sexy Beast. Uh, what's that incredible? Oh, um, Ray Winstone. Ray Winstone. Holy crap! Yeah, you know because well, my, kind of my, my dad. I wrote in the book. My you know the character based on my father is, is kind of like my dad was like Gene Hackman. You know, he like had this Gene Hackman vibe, but like without integrity and like uh-huh. you know, with like a heavy suntan. <laughs> I thought that, like, that Ray Winstow would be like an incredible actor to try to do that, you know. Um, yeah, man. I mean, it would be really cool to 
cast this film with like every fucking hero from the 1980s. Oh, right. Yeah, no, sure. No, just like <laughs> all, like just fucking pantheon of every great actor from the, from the 90s that came of age, I should say, in the 1990s and some really special film. That would be kind of the ultimate idea for me. Yeah, man. I I wonder if I should tell you that Joe Strummer story. Tell me the Joe Strummer story. We'll yeah. we'll, we'll 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 wind it down with the Joe Strummer story. I'd like to, I'd love to hear it. Sure. Yeah, I don't know if you if you're a Clash fan or not. If you're, I, I totally, absolutely, yeah, I have everything. Indeed. But yeah. then again, I worked in the music industry. We that we 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 uh, there was when I was there with with Josh Choose, they re- Epic Records re- released their entire catalog plus like some bonus like rarities and stuff. So I just grabbed it all. I just have it exactly. everything. Yeah, you, you remember that, and that's so what my I'm sister thinking. had a copy of Santana. Uh, not Santana. What am I saying? Yeah, yeah, Sandinista. Not, definitely not Santana, my friend. <laughs> I don't. I have. Well, they were on the same label, but I had the San, 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 uh, Sandinista. She I love Sandinista. So many people like are so weirded out by that record, and I think it's yeah. like perfectly experimental and, and yeah, an incredible triple record. Like I love that album so much, and it's very like downtown New York by way of the Clash, because I, I mean they literally recorded it like well. Oh. All of that was going on, you know, in in like 1979, 1980, and, and Manhattan, you know, against, you know, Basquiat and the graffiti scene and hip hop culture and, you know, yeah. great Jamaican dub. It's an incredible album. Anybody listening should definitely look into Sandinista. Yeah, I mean, the Clash is like a mentality also, you know, when you get into that band, it just kind of puts something into you. I, I remember what you're talking about. You were at Sony while that was happening because that's really important because those reissues to me and all my friends really meant so much to us. And we uh, all went out and we just had such limited money, you know, because it was like $16 for everything. And like, it was the choice, Adam, literally between eating or not eating. Yeah. <laughs> like buying the record and getting some of the bum use something at a, at a hamburger stand or something. And, um, I remember working my way through them all at that time because I think they came out 99, 2000 around there. And I was already dealing with all that stuff in my life. And, um, you know, and then Joe started playing again around that time. He had been really absent. He chose to start recording new material around that, around that time. And so he played in 01 after the, this story takes place. Or a beginning of 02, I can't remember exactly. I have the ticket stuff somewhere. He played five nights at the Doug Weston's Troubadour, which is this legendary of course. Uh, venue in LA, right? And uh, I had a friend, and she worked uh, she worked the door there. So I went there, got in, and she said, "Do you want to like a pass to go up to the little secret bar on the second floor?" I didn't even. All the times I've been there, I never even knew it existed. You know, I'm like 21, 22 years old. And um, I go, okay, sure, cool. So I go up, kind of up and down while he's playing the show. And it's a great, great show. He's playing half Clash material as well, but it doesn't feel like a Grace Hits tour. You know, it just was, it, just, it was electric. And after the show, I'm having a drink at the bar. And I had just quit smoking, Adam. It was the hardest thing ever because I was a two pack a day smoker, right? Wow. Yeah, no, it's hard. And so I'm, I, I quit smoking. I'm having a drink. 
Stromer gets off stage. He walks right up to the bar, right? Right next to me. He goes, hey, you see those two beers at the edge of the bar? Do you mind just uh, bringing them over and giving them to me, right? I'm like, number one, I'm shaking. <laughs> That's your hero. That's my hero. And uh, yeah, right away, sir. And um, they're not his beers. They're yeah. not for him. They're somebody else's beers, and they're just talking to somebody else, and they've just been put down on the bar. Stole the beers for Strummer, brought them over to him, right? Slid them down the bar, gave them to him. And he, uh, he goes, uh, you want a cigarette? Oh, no. I'm not going to say no. He hand-rolled hand me a cigarette, put it in my mouth, lit it, right? Wound up talking to him the entire night. Wow. The entire, the entire, we got to stay till like 2.30 in the morning or 3 in the wow. morning, something like that. Yeah, and, and the other thing was is that um, Joe, and we were all drunk. It was like, you know, he found out about what I did. He found out I was a filmmaker, and he knew I was finishing this movie up that I had just made in school. And he said, um, well, let me do, let me do something. Let me do the narration. Right. Mm -hmm. He gave me his contact information. So we started faxing each other in the days that fax machines were still a thing. And he agreed to narrate my student film at the end of it, at the, at the end of, you know, my production. And, um, and uh, he, then he passed away. So he never, he never got to, uh, to get there. But uh, I mean, it's just one of those things about LA, like. And he offered to do it, and he would have so done it. If he how lived. incredible he, is he that? He would have done it if he lived. Yeah. I mean, you know that that speaks really. It's he was he was he was like I think that you know earthquake weather is a lot of searching, right? Like a lot of searching for this mythology and truth, mm. and um, what does this entertainment really mean? And what what are these people really about? And who will sacrifice you? Who will back you? You know, they're just like the questions everybody's probably asking themselves at all times. And um, Strummer was the real thing. And, uh, and uh, you know, and it's like, that's why I, um, that's why I named the book Earthquake Weather and homage to, to that. Well, thank you for sharing that story. It was, it was a good one. And um, this was, a, it's really great. I'm going to show it to everybody again. Earthquake weather. I shot the photo too for the cover. I shot it on oh, 30. Which is an homage to the cover of Earth, the original album covering. Yeah, yeah. And please let Josh, if you're still in contact with him, let him know. Um, I, he, I mean, you know, I'm not. But, you know, <laughs> I, I once ever, I mean, I used to run into him occasionally. I'm, I'm not sure if he's still, even still at Sony. I wouldn't surprise me if he was, but right listen, on. yeah, this, let's, uh, Let's call it a let's call it an episode or that was wonderful. Fantastic. Yeah. We'll be back with the film version or the adaptation or we'll whatever reason as I Yeah, working on that. Yeah, I'm working on that. Yeah. I mean we're gonna we're gonna move on that. I, I just am fucking passionate about it now and I wanna go out and I wanna I wanna shoot it. Yeah, man. I just I just I'm immersed in uh, this idea. <laughs> Where I'm going. I can't wait. Thanks for, for thanks for uh, making the time and doing this with me. And no problem, Adam. It's really always a great to be on your show, man. You you are one of the best interviews in uh, in this goddamn country. Appreciate yeah. it. I 
Thank you. I can't take compliments. I don't, <laughs> I don't know how to do that. <laughs> That's not one of my skills. I understand. <laughs> Thank no you. Problem.